0: You're listening to the SSPX Podcast. This is a series of conferences given by Father Thomas Asher of the Society of St. Pius X on the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's meant to be seen as a private retreat, a retreat that you can do while you're sheltering in place or at your house, perhaps with some extra time. For more conferences, resources, such as downloadable uh, instructions and information about Holy Week, as well as live mass times, please visit corona.sspx.online. Or for all of our conferences, please visit sspxpodcast.com. Now here's Father Asher. The presentation. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 22 to 38. And after the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they carried him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male opening the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according as it is written in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, And this man was just and about, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was with him. And he had received an answer from the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he also took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now thou dost dismiss thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word in peace. Because my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were wondering at those things which were spoken concerning him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and for the resurrection of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be contradicted." And thy own soul a sword shall pierce, that out of many hearts thoughts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Aser. She was far advanced in years, and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow until fourscore and four years, who departed not from the temple by fastings and prayers, serving night and day. Now she at the same hour coming in confessed to the Lord, and spoke of him to all that looked for the redemption of Israel. Now, verse 22. And after the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they carried him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So this is 40 days after the birth of our Lord in Bethlehem. And so just to recap what's happened since then, during those 40 days, at the eighth day, when our Lord was eight days old, he obviously would have been circumcised according to the law of Moses. Now, our Lord, of course, is not subject you know, to this, this right. He is God, and yet he subjects himself to it as painful as it is. Remember that our Lord, from the first moment of his conception, he is fully conscious of his mission. He has the use of his intellect, and so he knows what is coming, and yet our Lord subjects himself to his own laws, we would say. And one of the fathers of the church pointed out that it was a, an example for leaders to also be subject to their own laws if they're going to demand the obedience of those under them. It's a good reminder for for parents, for teachers, for any public official, that it isn't just because I hold the authority that I am somehow exempt from those laws. Of course, there can be dispensations, but in general, we should lead by example. Now, regarding the purification of Our Lady and the offering of Our Lord in the temple We see in the book of Leviticus, chapter 12, how a woman was considered, if she had a male child, to be unclean for 40 days after the birth of that child. And of course, this child was a gift from God. It belonged to God, ultimately. It was entrusted to the parents, and they were expected to purchase this child back from Almighty God. Since it belonged to him, they were to offer a sacrifice in the place of the child. Here again, we see examples of... Individuals not subject to the law and yet submitting in order to give a a good example to those around them, in order to give us an example to follow. So first of all, our Blessed Mother, obviously she was never defiled in any way. And our Lord himself, he is God. He doesn't belong to God. He is God. And yet both of them go and they submit again to these these ceremonies because this is what is expected of them from, from God the Father. We see that Our Lady carries him to Jerusalem. He is he is absolutely helpless. He's led, as we'll hear later, like a lamb to the slaughter. They carry him up to Jerusalem, which obviously is the the, the place of sacrifice, the place where one day he will actually be sacrificed himself. I remembered uh, the words of our Lord to St. Peter, how one day they will bind you and they will lead you where you would not. And so even now we see our, our Lord being carried up. And Our Lady, of course, will present him like a sacrifice. Of course, they're going to offer a substitute now in his, in his childhood. But one day, of course, he will be the true lamb that will be sacrificed for our salvation. Verse 23 and 24. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male opening the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according as it, as it is written in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, this sacrifice that they're offering, in fact, what was required to, to purchase back this child was actually a lamb. And yet God in the Old Testament made allowances for those who were less wealthy, for those who could not afford a lamb. We see that God would accept instead these, these two, two pigeons or two uh, turtle doves. And if we stop and look at this sacrifice, let us consider really just how little God asked of us. He is willing to accept something so small for for the life of this this precious gift, this child that was given to the couple. He knows our weakness. He knows that we can't give as much as is due, as much as uh, as we wish we could. And yet he's satisfied. He's happy if we give what we can. And that's a great consolation for us, obviously, in our life. Now, I mentioned before that, that Our Lady, of course, she is not subject to this law either. And yet, once again, we see her submit in order to, to avoid scandal. This, again, is a, a great lesson for us that very often there are things that maybe we're not obliged to do. And yet, as we mentioned before, not being bound in justice, perhaps, we, we are moved by charity, by the love of God, to, to help our neighbors to lend a hand, to abstain perhaps from drink, if I'm with someone who I know it's going to be an occasion of sin for them, etc. Verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was with him. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and what is this consolation but the coming of the Messiah? The consolation is is going to be the redemption of mankind, the the conquering of the devil, the conquering of sin, of death, and I would ask: Is is Christ? Is our Lord? Is He my consolation? Is He someone that I turn to when I am when I am downhearted, when I am in trouble? He should be if He is not. We see with Simeon also. It says that the Holy Ghost was with, was with him. He was, in a manner of speaking, like our Lady. He was full of grace. He was someone that was that was certainly living a life of grace, being vigilant, being prayerful, being watchful? How was it that he was able to recognize um, our lady, uh, recognize our Lord? What was it that distinguished her and and, and the child Jesus and St. Joseph? What was it that distinguished this family from so many other poor families that certainly would have come up to the temple, would have been standing in line to make their offering? What is it that moves him to, to recognize them? We'll see in just a bit. Verse twenty six, and he had received an answer from the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. And so again, we see that that uh, looking for the consolation and that promise that he would see the Christ. Notice that there's no there's no timeline specified. It was promised to him that he would see the Christ, but when you know how long, and God is not always so specific. It's. Well, in my time, when I am ready, your prayer will be answered. Verse 27, and he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he also took him into his arms and blessed God and said, so before going any farther, let's, let's stop and consider that Simeon, again, he's, he's carried by the Holy Ghost. He's moved by the Spirit to go up to the temple. He's doing his duty of state, he is docile, he is listening, he's united to God, and because he's living, we can say, a a life of prayer, a a life of grace, he's able to hear this inspiration. It's the same in our life. If we get too caught up in our duties of state, if we get too caught up in the things of the world, those inspirations of God, they're very faint in our soul, and, and it's easy for us to miss them. And what a loss that would have been for dear Simeon. We see him then in verse 28, we see him approach the holy family and he takes our Lord into his arms and he blesses God, as we read. We can say that when, when God is with us, we recognize God. Very often, the closer that we, that we live to God, the closer we draw to him, the more clear becomes his will for us. Very often, I'll tell people on retreat, they're struggling with, with questions that they need to resolve. They're struggling maybe with a problem in their life. And my advice to them is always the same, is don't think about it right now. Don't worry about it when you're here on retreat, but rather focus on drawing closer to our Lord. Because the more that we go up, again, that mountain with Christ, the higher our position, the less those obstacles at ground level, in other words, the obstacles, the distractions we have when we're living in our senses, we're living in the world, the less those things obstruct God's will from being made manifest to us. Note, too, that he had been promised, it had been promised to him by God, that he would see the Messiah. He would see the consolation. But notice, he's not content to only look, but his love moves him to action. He's not, he's not content to simply look and gaze upon the face of the child, but he takes him in his arms. As we mentioned before, those, those feelings that we have, if they don't move us to, to, to work, if they don't move us to sacrifice, we should be distrustful. Note, too, at the end of the verse there, that, that he blesses God. And let us, um, let us maybe ask ourselves, do we, do we bless God? Do we thank God when our prayers are answered? Or do we simply turn to the next request? Now, verse 29, uh, Simeon prays, he, he praises God, blesses God. It says, now thou dost dismiss thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word in peace, because my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all peoples a light to the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now that took us all the way to verse 33, but let's, let's look back over that. So now Thou dost dismiss thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word in peace. I, I admire, you know, dear Simeon, he's, he's satisfied with so little. He's not, um, you know, uh, looking constantly for more and more and more. God has promised him this consolation. The consolation has been given and now he has resigned to the will of God. Now he's ready to die. He is ready in peace to, to, to go into the next, the next life. He doesn't keep asking for more, but he accepts death as God's will quite peacefully. I think that we could all sympathize with Simeon if he said, well, if I could just hear him speak, if I could just wait a little bit longer, if I could just maybe see him take his first steps, if I could just maybe see him begin his mission, just let me see that before I go. And that's not the case at all. St. Simeon, he says, Now, now, Lord, thou dost dismiss thy servant according to thy word in peace. Because his eyes, verse 30, he says, have seen thy salvation. When we see Christ, we see God. And when we see God, of course, we see salvation. And that's where Simeon's eyes are fixed. Our Lord has said, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Our Lord will one day tell his disciples, Now this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Simeon, in seeing Jesus, has seen God. And in seeing God, we see salvation. What is salvation? What is eternal life but the the eternal enjoyment of God and the beatific vision? Simeon has been given a sort of glimpse of this in seeing our Lord. One of the fathers of the church made it clear that he who sees Christ sees God. For our Lord himself is divine. And this salvation, Simeon tells us, God has prepared before the face of all peoples, all those people, not just the Jews, but all who are the spiritual children of Abraham. Verse 32, he says, as I mentioned, a light to the revelation of the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. We see the big heart of Simeon. Many of the Jews, of course, they despise the Gentiles as reprobates, and yet Simeon's heart is open. He's not closed in on self. He's not closed in on his own family, his own tribe, his own people, his own nation, his own interest. But his heart is open. He sees that that, that God wills the salvation of all men, and our Lord is going to be that light to lead the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. For Catholics, there can sometimes be maybe that temptation, like the Jews of old, To understand that that it is in the Catholic Church that men are saved and and to view somehow those outside of her as reprobate, as damned. And of course, we want to bring them into the church so that they may be saved. And bringing them into the church is simply bringing them to our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to have a care for all men. We want to, to be that light of Christ to them, to bring them again to our Lord. And not get caught up in our our own interest, our own little world, our own little ghetto, so to speak, that we live in, but be truly apostolic in our our love and our care for for every man who, as we've said, is a is a potential member of Christ's mystical body. Now, our Lord is called the glory of Thy people Israel. Remember, Saint Paul he says that salvation is from the Jews. It is to the Jews that we have to thank them, the chosen people of old for bringing us the Messiah, for bringing us this Redeemer, and pray, of course, for them to to see that he is the Messiah that was promised and to embrace him. Verse 33, And his father and mother were wondering at those things which were spoken concerning him. This is another example of those times in the life of Mary, in the life of Joseph, when they were left wondering. And so again, I mean, what wonder if if they are... At times bewildered, but at, at times not understanding. Well what wonder then if we sometimes are in the darkness when it comes to the will of God, when it understanding when it comes to understanding the ways of God? Faith is that virtue that allows us to accept and to and to live in a certain sense in the darkness and understand that one day what we don't understand will be made clear, will be made evident, and we will see again how all things worked to the greater good of those who love God. Another lesson, if you will, that we might draw for our own lives is how the words of Simeon, remember, he's full of the Holy Ghost, that his words cause wonder. They provoke reflection. They would provoke a, a deepening of, of knowledge, of understanding eventually. I would say that we should pray. We should ask our Lord to, to, to grant that we may be full of the Holy Ghost and that our words may be a source of, of wonder, a source of, of meditation or pondering to those to whom we speak. And especially, of course, when, when we speak about the, the discernment of our life, not just our words, but rather the, the life we live. May it be a cause for, for others around us to reflect and be drawn closer to, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Father Faber, you know, he would he would tell us that we edify our neighbor the most when we realize it the least. And so we certainly don't want to go around, okay, I'm going to do this because this will edify my neighbor. That never works. It always comes off flat. And yet if I if I focus on doing my duties of state on living a life of union with our Lord, living a life of grace, my life will be that sermon, and souls will be touched and brought closer to our Lord without even realizing it. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and for the resurrection of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be contradicted. Now our Lord has come into the world to save all men, and yet we know that many men, because of their bad will, they will reject him. And, and for them, for those um, who are willfully blind, willfully obstinate, our Lord will be the occasion for their ruin. But he will also be the cause of the resurrection or the, the lifting up of those who would accept him. It is, um, it is often the case that God, God will knock us down in order to build us up. He will allow us to fall, allow us to be humiliated. And this, again, is all part of God's plan And in that sense, we can say that he's destined to be the the fall and the resurrection of many, including including ourselves. This certainly holds true today. St. Paul, in one of his epistles, wrote that we are to one the odor of death unto death, but to the other, the odor of life unto life. We hope and we pray for the conversion of all those we come into contact with, and yet we know that not all will be saved. Notice that that Simeon makes it clear that he will be the the resurrection of many, not not of all men. And this is something that's very painful, particularly when we're praying for someone who is very close to us, someone that we love. We pray for their conversion, and yet they remain free. God is not going to force them to love him. He's not going to save them without their help. And at that point, we have to simply be resigned. We don't want to... Of course, you know, the devil will try and agitate us. He will try and stir us up and say, you've got to do something. This person's being lost. This is your your spouse, your child, or whoever. And he can move us to, to act in a way or to, to pressure in a way that actually is going to push the person even farther from our Lord. We have to be resigned. We do everything we can. We exercise that internal apostolate of prayer, of penance, of sacrifice, drawing down God's grace on this person in the hopes that one day when i do speak to this person when i do give a word of admonishment that my my words then are anointed with the graces that i've that i've purchased prior to that point and that that word will be something that will slip in and penetrate the heart but again ultimately it is up to god only god can convert a heart only god can save a soul you and i we will never save anyone of ourselves and so let us be resigned, let us trust in God, and, and of course, pray with might and main. Simeon concludes saying, our Lord is going to be a sign that will be contradicted. And here we see the, the life of our Lord, his whole life. And St. Paul, again, um, in one of his epistles, he talks about how we are we are weak, and yet we are strong. We are unknown, and yet known. We are poor, and yet possessing all things. We, as, as members of Christ, we are a, a sign of contradiction. Our Lord himself, in his, in his life, what was his life but an abject failure, I mean, in the eyes of the world, I mean. He is crucified, he is defeated, he is seemingly overcome, and yet we know that that sign of defeat, his crucifixion, was in fact the greatest victory that was ever accomplished on earth, the overcoming of satan of of death of the grave of sin all of those wrapped up in the victory of the cross i heard just a, a few days ago saint uh, not saint but rather uh, not yet anyway uh, bishop fulton sheen talking about the there's only one key that will get us into heaven and it is the key of the, of the cross and people of course they try and and devise other ways to to open heaven and none of them will ever work It is only through the cross that we that we will come to salvation, and so again, obviously, let us try and embrace it. Verse thirty-five: In thy own soul, a sword shall pierce, that out of many hearts, thoughts may be revealed. Here, let us remember that he's speaking to our blessed Mother, she who was conceived without original sin, she who throughout her life remained sinless, and yet consider how very much our blessed Mother suffers. As, as is and, and as does Christ, both of them completely without sin, and yet both of them, their hearts are going to be crushed under under the weight of sin, we can, we can say, redeeming us, of course, redeeming us is going to require that these two sinless souls are going to be pierced with a lance. Our Lord, physically, of course, after his death, when Longinus, of course, is going to open his side with a lance, and yet our lady feeling that blow in her in her own heart, seeing her, her her lifeless son hanging there on the cross, she is sinless, and yet she suffers so much, like our like our Lord does. And so what wonder too, if we we who are but but poor wretched sinners, should we be surprised, should we be disappointed, should we be overcome if in our life we have suffering? We are are simply receiving what we deserve, and yet and yet we know that our Lord and his blessed mother are always there with us to help us. It's worth remarking again here how this feast of the presentation, this, this historical event, it's one of the joyful mysteries in our rosary. And yet with this joy, there is there is bound up some sorrow in every joy of our Lord's life. There is always, as we've said before, the shadow of the cross. Our Lady is our Lady of Sorrows and she has to be because she is the mother, of course, of the man of sorrows. Verse 36 And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was far advanced in years and have, had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. Verse 37 And she was a widow until fourscore and four years, who departed not from the temple by fastings and prayers, serving night and day. When I read of Anna, I think of Judith in the Old Testament. Judith, that beautiful type of our blessed mother. She who would cut off the head of Holofernes, like it was foretold of Our Lady, that she would crush the head of Satan, of, of the enemy of mankind. And Judith, too. Remember, she was she was young. She was beautiful. She was wealthy. She was exceedingly pious. And she, too, was a widow very early in her marriage. And like Anna here in the New Testament, Judith spent her days in in fasting, in prayer, in union with our Lord. She didn't give way, obviously, to the vanity of the world, despite her wealth and despite her immense beauty. She was more beautiful than than all the women of her day. And Anna, like Judith, being a, a young widow, doesn't go looking for another love, but she turns to Almighty God, and she finds her consolation there. Verse 38, now she at the same hour coming in confessed to the Lord and spoke of him to all that looked for the redemption of Israel. So she, like Simeon, recognizes the Holy Family, recognizes that our Lord is the promised Messiah. And she, like an apostle, goes to to preach. Simeon is going to to die soon. Um, Anna carries on and she she spreads the word to the people that, that she has seen this chosen one. Her voice would have been added to that of the shepherds who had had the angels appear to them, who had seen the babe wrapped in the manger. And so, and like those shepherds, obviously in the eyes of the world, she would have not been anything that anyone would have likely taken notice of. So maybe we can use this again as another lesson that when we look at the world with the eyes of faith, the action of God becomes more clear and we see his his hand in everything. We see His will manifested in everything. So let us not, um, well, let us not blow off the old ladies. Let us uh, try and see in all the seemingly insignificant events of our, of our lives, let us try and see in them the hand of our Father in heaven who loves us. So let's uh, let's wrap it up there. And once again, I encourage you to spend uh, 15 minutes, half hour, maybe even an hour reflecting go back over these uh this event in the life of our lord and and see what what fruit or what other what other graces maybe we missed that you can pick up for yourself take care and god bless you